Good morning, Church. I have to say that we are missing the physical contact of meeting up together these days, as, as Nigel and I are following through on our plans to re retire. It's a strange moment for us to, to mark this personal transition, but we know that we're not the only ones who are facing change. Children have left schools, and there are, are children waiting for results of exams that they haven't taken. Our son Tom changed his job during lockdown. People have got married and some are waiting to get married. So we know that we're not the only ones who are facing change at this time. But it does mean that we have not been able to speak to you, many of you, as we would have liked to have done. And as that would have really helped us, we would have liked to have said thank you to so many of you who we have worked with and who have helped us over this time. So for those of you who don't know us, it might just be helpful if I explain what is happening in a few sentences. In 1986, Jill and I moved from a church in Chester where I was working as a pastor. With four children between the ages of two and seven, we moved to the church here when I became the church administrator. We bought the forum and I oversaw the process of this unique building becoming the home of the church. After seven years, I was able to hand on the work to others who have built brilliantly on the foundations that we managed to lay at that initial time. I then spent 17 years working for the court service while Jill worked in the local hospice, all the time fully active and part of the church family here. When we finished our careers eight years ago, we agreed to, to help pastor in the church, but didn't realize that this meant we would end up by helping lead the church through a period of transition. What we thought would be a support role for five years turned into something completely different and we're pleased though that we've been able to help. Eight years later, we're now convinced that this is the time, the right point for us to retire and refocus on what the Lord has for us in the years ahead. As my former boss in the magistrate's court said to me a couple of years back, retirement is a good thing. You ought to try it full time one day. For me, this is about handing on responsibilities and leadership to a competent and trustworthy younger team. The future needs fresh eyes, fresh hearts and fresh energy to hear from God, to take us forward, to impact our communities, the city and our world. Both of us are very confident in the team that has been brought together over the last two or three years and which you've seen form with James and Janine, with Josh and Kara, with Tim and Keris, and now with Jonathan and Ruth. And I'm sure the team will grow. Yes, we do know that we ca both carry wisdom, both from our experience and from our individual characters. And we're still glad that we're in reasonable physical shape. So we're not disappearing off we can assure you that we'll still be around and part of the church family. Jonathan and Ruth and the other elders know this too, but I have just passed my 66th birthday on Friday and I've just become what used to be called an old age pensioner and Jill's only a couple of months behind me. 
1986, I was just 32 when we moved to Bath on the 26th of August. With only limited experience of buying and selling our first home, I found myself with Dan's dad, Peter Reynolds, and Paul Wakeley, who were both leading the church at the time, being asked to organise the God adventure of buying this building and selling our other church property at the time to make it all happen. With all the challenges and all the steps of faith that it took to take the building on and to do it up. When I told Jonathan Horsfall this last week, he said, well, I'll be 32 next month. And I found that somehow significant and even reassuring in the roundedness of the progression as we move forward. And we do know that the team are equipped and ready to take us forward, even or perhaps especially at this time. So I've struggled in preparing for today, not in the sense of having something to say, but more in the sense of there's too much to say in the time available. But in the end, our heart this morning is simply to bless you all in the best way we know from the blessings that are in Scripture. And we will do this at the end of our time. But before we do that, I have four brief thoughts that I want to commend to you. They're heartfelt, certainly with the weight of a pastoral heart, but also, I think, with a measure of prophetic commendation as well as we step into the new future ahead. The fact that I'm not spending long on these thoughts or unpacking them fully in Scripture should not indicate that these are just casual passing observations. They represent some of my reflections on the nature and character of who we are as a community, and I trust that these will help us as we step into the future. So point number one is this. Pursue heart, not head and shoulders. And this is not a point about hair care. Some with long memories back to 1975 may remember Ern Baxter preaching a series entitled The King and His Army at the Lakes Bible Week. It was a formative, prophetic word to the church in the UK and beyond at the time, explaining God's view of leadership in the church and effectively calling it into being at the same time. And the picture comes from 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 9, the children of Israel are fed up with prophetic judges raised up and appointed by God to help lead them from time to time as they express God's leadership of the nation. They wanted a king, as they said, like the other nations. And they chose Saul, the son of Kish, who was a handsome guy and who stood head and shoulders above others. They were impressed, but they were governed by outward appearance. There was a sense in the scripture that the Lord gave the people what they wanted and Saul was anointed and appointed by the prophet Samuel. However, things turned sour fairly quickly because he wasn't trustworthy and he was prone to act on his own advice without waiting or hearing from God. And the story moves on, and in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it's clear that the anointing has moved away from Saul, and the prophet Samuel now declares that the Lord is seeking out a man after his own heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 
Samuel presses through the other well-presented sons of Jesse's family to find and anoint the disregarded David, who eventually does become the real king, to whom men and women at the time responded as he led and built the nation, building a new kingdom, and who, in spite of his weakness, retained worship and devotion to the Lord at his heart. God looks on the inside, but as human beings, we get so easily distracted by outward appearance, by image and impression. And over these last few years, this picture has lived with me again. So I pray, Lord, in spite of our weaknesses, let us be a people and let us have leaders who are men and women after your heart, to whom you, Lord, can entrust your people, your plans, your purposes in these days. It's no coincidence to me that Jonathan spoke last week from Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's true for us as individuals. I believe it's true for us as leaders, and it's true for us as a church family together too. So my first point is, pursue heart over head and shoulders. It's the heart that matters, not the outward appearance. Point number two, pursue relationship and avoid routine and ritual at all costs. Our connection with God is always based on our relationship with him. It's the heart of the gospel. Always, always, always. It is our relationship with him. John 1 verses 12 to 13 talks about the word, God himself becoming flesh as Jesus, coming as a man, as the light of the world. And so to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. They were reborn, born again. The Apostle Paul in Galatians says, because you are his sons then, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, recognises our Dad. Jesus spoke in John 14, or is recorded as speaking, and says, because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So we're now in a relationship with the Lord of heaven himself, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who in his once and for all sacrifice on the cross has opened up the way for us to be in relationship with him, even to the extent of being received as his friend. In that case, the idea that we can earn any credit with him because of our routines or the way we do things or because of our doctrines or our teachings any such idea is nonsense without a relationship with him that is alive and open with the Lord himself in his fullness, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We cannot sing our songs any differently that make us more acceptable. We cannot pray in any way that earns us a different access to him. We cannot believe or behave in any way that brings God closer 
without a relationship with the Lord that is alive and engaged. So my second point is pursue relationship with him and avoid routine and ritual at all costs. Point number three, see the miracle beyond what we are managing. Progressing on from the first two thoughts, I've expressed this thought previously when I've talked about the story of Jesus at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. There's a normal event of life unfolding. Jesus and his first disciples are at a wedding with his family, but there's a setback and somehow Jesus becomes involved. And his mother says, just do what he says. And he turns to the servants and says, fill the pots. So the human part is to respond to Jesus, to manage the response with our labour, our effort and our resource, the water, our natural resources, our natural gifts to fill the pots. The outcome, as I've, as I've said before, is our ordinary becomes his extraordinary, both in quality, it's the best wine yet, and quantity, have you seen how much wine? The story of buying the forum felt like that for me, particularly when we took a moment to look back and realise what had happened. The danger was that as we'd moved from each step of faith to the next one, we concentrated on the next one rather than understanding what had just happened. And the last eight years have felt similar. Jill and I have just been so grateful of what the Lord has done amongst the church family here. And we've had to make ourselves pause and honour the story, otherwise we would just be moving on to the next challenge. God is with us, and that does mean that the outcomes for us will be extraordinary. We need to pause and acknowledge what the Lord has done and will continue to do amongst us. So my third point, see the miracle beyond what we're managing day to day. Point number four, pursue reality, not a reputation. The short explanation of this is this, let our lives be authentic and sincere. We've nothing to prove and we've nothing to lose. We do not need to strive to be anyone or as a church to be anything. We have the reality of the Lord in our lives. He is in us and we're in him, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. It is enough. It's enough to live in the reality of this, and he will take care of the rest. It's simply Matthew 6, verse 33, all over again, going back about four or five years, which was our, our theme for the year, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So what does it mean to live real, authentic and sincere? Well, there's plenty of practical teaching about authentic living in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testaments. I think Paul's practical exhortations are unavoidably forthright. They're direct and very blunt, but so helpful. In each of his letters, he would send greetings and then deal with the, the issues he wanted to speak about to the specific church. 
usually unpacking them with some theological principles that guided his thinking. But then he changed gear and he thought about the particular people he was addressing and he became really practical and down to earth about how to live. And this is what I mean by authentic and sincere living. And the studies of these exhortations in his letters is so practical and direct that they merit a series of a few weeks to unpack and pursue uh, in a life group. Let's, for instance, let's look at Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. These are 12 verses in Scripture. But they actually come across packed with a punch of bullet points. There might be 12 verses, but I think there's 20 separate points in here. I'm not going to expand them or paraphrase them in any way. I'm just going to read the scripture to you directly as it was written. Let your love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour each other above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual passion serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse them. And rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, worse off than yourselves. Don't be conceited. And don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't try and get your own back, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and bring conviction to him. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are just practical statements straight out of Scripture, out of the NIV. And what strikes me is how direct they are. They do merit an evening spent spurring each other on to be joyful in hope. Or another one working out what it means to honour each other. Or another one to face the challenge of what it means to live in harmony with everyone. I would rather be known by the way we actually live and behave than by an image or reputation that just isn't real. It's so good to be accountable to each other, to be part of a life group, connected with each other where we can encourage and inspire each other to be real and authentic, not just towards each other, 
but towards our neighbours and towards our colleagues and our friends. And once we've mastered the challenges of Romans 12, as I've just read out, we take a look at Romans 13 and then 14, let alone the back end of the letter to the Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians. There's plenty of material to be going on with. At Encore, we looked at Romans 14, where straight talking talks to the new believers in Rome as he tackles, as Paul tackles the tension between the new Gentiles who've now received the gospel and the Jewish believers who were coming to terms with a freedom that meant their practices were no longer as important as they thought they were. People were judging each other over what they felt free to eat or not eat, or what to do on certain days or other days. And Paul spoke directly saying, honour each other, don't judge each other, stop getting so twitchy with each other. And in the midst of this, he makes this statement in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, routines or rituals, it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we were to have a strap line like the governments at the moment, which is stay alert, stop the virus and save lives, then here are our three statements. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jill and I both love the clarity of, this, of the scripture in the Old Testament, Micah 6 verse 8, which says, he's told you man what to do, what's good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We're about to move into a theme in August or beyond on justice and I look forward to what we will learn of heart, God's heart for justice. But I think it's more about fairness and setting things to right than it is about judgment. Justice and righteousness go hand in hand. I love what Janine shared about Peter and John following up Philip in bringing the blessing of the Holy Spirit to Samaria when she spoke a couple of weeks ago. Peter and John had previously been there with Jesus. They wanted to call down judgment on Samaria. But when they had the Holy Spirit, they wanted to call down, they wanted to set things to right and bring pe things to peace. So back to our strapline, on the podium of our, of our church, if it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, I think we could add, act justly, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. So my fourth point is this, pursue the reality of authentic living, not just a reputation. So to sum up my four points as a church family, particularly from our recent responsibilities and journeys, journey over the last eight years, it's this. Our life as individuals or together as church is only ever about the heart. It's only ever about a heart in an open relationship with a loving God in all his fullness, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. With a supernatural awareness 
and the encounters with him that transform us and enable us to become a people marked by righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I should just say before we conclude, and I ask Jill to rejoin me, that if you want to respond in any way to any of the points I've raised, particularly if you might be visiting our time together for the first time and want to know more about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus or to be part of the church family here, then please do click on the prayer button in the bottom right of the screen and there will be a chance to connect with someone individually and directly. So Jill and I look forward to continuing our journey together with us all in the church family. But it will be a different perspective for us now. After taking a short break, we're looking forward to seeing what God does amongst us all as we reset the future. So we want to bless you now using two scriptures. The first is from Numbers 6. And I commend Robin Henderson's contribution to the Weekly Word a few weeks ago when he spoke on this same verse. It's a really good short summary on the effectiveness of blessing. The blessing that Aaron and the priests were commended to speak over the people of Israel. It confers fruitfulness, prosperity, i.e. that it goes well for you. It confers protection. It confers his favour. It confers his attention his presence, his well-being, his wholeness. So it's no coincidence that it's a song around these words that has been used to bless the church around the world through the pandemic. So now we want to speak it over you as we step forward into something new for us and speak it over us as a church. We've always felt blessed to be here blessed by the Lord and for us the words of Psalm 16 have been meaningful where he's assigned us our portion and our cup he's made our lot secure and the boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places and we've have a delightful inheritance that's not about living in a beautiful city of Bath it's about the life God has given us and the people and the family that God has placed around us much much more than the place and we thank you all for that it's been a pleasure to serve you do you want to speak the blessing okay. the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. At the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, he writes the words known today as the grace. In most letters, he simply refers to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on this occasion, he expresses his blessing with reference to the very fullness of God the, the God whom we serve and have given our lives. And we want to speak it out with our thanks and our love to you all. Yeah. 
the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ and the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and be with us all. Amen. Amen.